We want to take a moment and first of all recognize that this is Memorial Day in, the, in this country. And this is a day set aside first and foremost in memoriam of those who gave their life in the service of this country. And then not less importantly, those who have served our country and by the grace of God uh, live with us today. And those who have moved on uh, have served in our military. Uh, we live in a time when those who serve in our safety forces, our police, and even our military are scoffed at uh, by those who apparently don't understand and appreciate the price that has been paid for them to have the ability to speak freely in a country like this. Um, we are not those who want to return uh, that putrid hatred uh, with the same in kind. But at the same time, we are those who say that we want to raise up a generation uh, that understands the price of this country and the values that this country was built upon. It's a major task. Uh, only the Lord can make it happen. It's on, under attack to literally pull down what has become, aside from ancient Israel and what will become modern day or, or the Israel with the return of Christ, the greatest testimony of a country that was born in the faith of Jesus Christ and the God of Israel. And uh, we can assure you that this attack uh, is an evil attack against this country and the credibility of this country. One of the most amazing, I think, facts of this country is that the military, the United States military, is an all-volunteer military. That means that young people, women and men, are answering the call into service. There may be different reasons that people enter into service, but the military has a way of bonding sisters and brothers together into what we will say, not gender specific, a brotherhood, a sisterhood um, that is life lasting forever. So first and foremost, we want to recognize those who may be here, even if it wasn't a direct generation of yours, that had somebody in the service of the United States military who made the ultimate sacrifice of their life. If you are here today and some connection with your family uh, responds to that, would you please stand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at that. Families interrupted. Lives taken away. And yet we stand here today in the freedoms of this country because of the sacrifices they have made. If you will remain standing, please. If you have served in the military uh, or presently serve in the military and are here or online, we would like to recognize you as well. Would you please also stand up? And I, I know some of you standing are military. Yes, yes, thank you. And I know there's some more that aren't in the house that are in the back, I think, probably with children. Um, and then finally, for those who have family members who are presently serving, um, if you would please stand up. Okay, we have some of you getting on your toes. Yes. And uh, I'm standing. We have uh, two of our children presently serving in the military and a uh, new daughter-in-law, all active, serving right now. In fact, I believe Keshet, uh, Captain Keshet Lemberg is, uh, and her husband are ministering to children this morning. And uh, Captain Sam Amedia is somewhere, not in the desert overseas, somewhere in the desert here, which is a much better desert to be in as far as we're concerned. Um, I'm going to ask 
if we would please for uh, I'd like Pastor Leanne to come up and to pray for those families and generations who have lost people in the military for those who have served in the military and also if we have a microphone for her please and for those serving in the military if you come right in the center here Leanne I appreciate it thank you Lord God we come before you this morning we just thank you that you are the God of angel armies you are the leader Jesus Christ of the host of heaven and we just thank you for your example to us, laying down your life for us. And I just thank you for each one here who is present, who has chosen to give their life and be willing to lay down their life for our freedoms, for our country. I just thank you for everyone who's in active duty right now. And I just ask for your protection over them, your divine protection. I just thank you for a knowing inside them uh, when there's danger. I thank you for dreams and visions and visitations for them to know things ahead of time so that you can keep them, so that they can make wise decisions as leaders. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the comfort that you give to those who've lost um, their fellow um, soldiers in battles, Lord. I thank you for the comfort of your Holy Spirit. I pray for families right now who are going to be visiting cemeteries tomorrow, today, and mourning the loss of loved ones. Thank you, Lord, that no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. We thank you for doing that for us, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for those who have done it and been willing to do it. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness toward us, that you know all things, and that you have us in the palm of your hand. And each one who's fighting, who's in active duty, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we have already and continue to declare the leading and passionately seeking the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let your word bounce off of my lips, off of your pages, out of your holy scriptures today. We thank you, Father, that we continue to build upon a firm foundation of word and faith. And we ask you, Lord, to allow us to receive and to grow and to transform with the revelation that you have declared for us and intended for us, some of which we've yet to even touch. Be blessed, O oh Lord. Guide us in this short time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would like to begin something that I entitled to you in the e-blast which was take a walk on the wild side of new creation living. And to get there, we need to understand first and foremost that nobody has arrived yet. Is there anybody here who says you've already apprehended all that God has for you? Because I can't help you at all. Maybe to just pray that the Lord doesn't have to really humble you too hard to get you to the place where you understand um, no, we, we are those who are striving with excellency for more of God and trying to understand his path for us. Scriptures, we're going to have a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm going to ask uh, the scriber up there on the uh, computer to move quickly with me. You're going to get Bible tested today. We're moving to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which is a staple of the foundation of of this word, this message, this teaching, if you will. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, 
Obviously, this is a Pauline revelation. And we understand that when we come into Christ, that we literally have a new life page in front of us. However, we need to understand that this is a progressive stance that we have with him. This isn't something that's one time. You don't come up out of the baptism water. You don't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't declare yourself born again or new, and then it's all over with. It's a process. That process Paul had referred to uh, through the group as Shalom, S-H-A-L-A-M, and it's a perfecting process. It's something that continues on in our lives from the moment that we breathe the Holy Spirit fresh and new in our spirit. I want to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed, and he prayed this very strongly and also with the passion of a father. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And this is how it reads. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of revelation and understanding in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, and I might put in parentheses, for you. What are the riches of his glory in his inheritance in the saints? Parentheses, for you. And what is the exceeding greatness of of his power toward all of us who believe, and this according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. We understand that this is a salutation, an opening, and a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. And this is a church that he planted. It was a very strategic church in an area of high commerce, and it had many, many different influences. And in this particular church, there was a strong visitation of power in the Holy Spirit. But he is praying that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, might give to his disciples there, even as we pray now for us here, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let's note a few things, if we will, please. First of all, Paul is breaking it down from human reasoning, human intellect, if you will, to spirit. The wisdom and revelation that God has for you and I is never-ending, and it can only, only be accessed in the spirit. There is no other way. Many try. Many labor, many do works, many have philosophies, many like to try and understand their own path to redemption, to salvation, to godliness, or whatever it is. I think myself that there are organizations that do a tremendous good work, but I also say that for those of us who believe, we need to be careful. For example, Alcoholics Anonymous A lot of times people are praying to what? A higher power. Well, there's a lot of higher powers, beloved. But there's only one God. And so we need to, even though we're in the world, not be of it. And even though there's goodness that that works for a lot of people, we need to understand that we are not in 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 a unity of faith and belief with those who want to believe in other than Jesus Christ. And in that instance, we need to understand that everything that we receive is in the Spirit. So Paul prays that the Father of glory, notice how he prays, that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of who? The Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That tells us that all truth 
that's based in knowledge and in wisdom equals revelation that comes from the source who is the Father. And in that source, we then understand, as he ends and includes it, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to access the spirit of the revelation of the power of the resurrection but through the spirit of Jesus Christ who is also working through the Father. We need to understand what are we doing here? We're creating a baseline for our faith and our understanding. And he's saying that in this that this is the way that you know the hope. This is the way that you know the hope of his calling. His calling. Calling for who? Calling for you. Calling for me. God knows his way into everything that he wants. He doesn't need more wisdom and revelation to understand a hope for his calling. His, his calling is steadfast truth. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's in the past, in the present, and the future. He is time to us. Time does not measure God. God measures time. God is the one who redeems time. God is the one who determines the length of our life here on earth, and he's the one who gives eternal life. Time must surrender to God. And so we understand that he says that we might know the hope of his calling. We can only know the hope of his calling for us spirit-wise. And this comes through wisdom and knowledge that comes with revelation. It must have revelation. The Word of God, taught as a textbook, gives nobody revelation. It might give history. It might give education. Somebody might be very proficient in multiple languages, Old Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew. But without the Spirit of God enticing and enhancing that word, then they are stuck in human intellect. The difference between human intellect and the Spirit of God is infinitesimal. There is no such thing as a place where this can even come close to the truth of God. The person who never learned how to read, but yet was able to receive the word of God and go in prayer in the enlightenment of God, is far brighter in the kingdom of God than somebody who has multiple degrees and never received the spirit of God. We need to understand that calling Calling has an economy in the kingdom of God. And calling is not measured by those things that we measure vocation and calling with. Success in the kingdom of God is irrelevant of your vocation. Success in the kingdom of God is irrelevant of your education. Success in the kingdom of God is really irrelevant to people's affirmation. In fact, that can become a great danger. Success in the kingdom of God, in the, kingdom, in the economy of the kingdom of God, is measured by other standards. In this instance, your calling is much more than a dream. And it's much more than somebody bestowing something upon you. A title, a position, a place, affirmation. Your calling literally is intrinsically designed of how God created specifically you. Nobody else has been designed just like you for your custom calling. Callings are inseparably attached and coded in your mantle. 
Now I'm going to get a little deeper with you. I know that we went through, a, and some of us still see it, a teaching and an understanding as the church began to flex its prophetic muscles and the gifts of God after it came through Azusa Street and we went through the charismatic movement, the evangelical movement, we went through the Pentecostal movement, we've gone through the prophetic movement, the fivefold movement, the apostolic movement, the supernatural movement, and there was a lot said about being able to take up somebody else's mantle. I tell you that is fallacy. You cannot take up somebody else's mantle because that is unique to them. You can be taught. You can have similar characteristics. You can operate with understanding and revelation. But beloved, if somebody loses their mantle, then literally, as far as I'm concerned, they've descended into hell. Your mantle is your identity with God. Your mantle here on earth doesn't leave when you go into heaven. You will know him when you see him because you will be just like him. He is the firstborn, is he not? And we are what? Those born with him. We ascended with him in resurrection and in power and in truth. When Christ transferred from earth to heaven, he didn't lose his mantle. He didn't give it to somebody else. He said, you shall be just like me because I'm taking what I have to the Father. I will minister from the heavenly places to you. If we are looking to have anybody's portion of mantle, it's that of Jesus Christ. Now, we have sitting in here a general. Anwar's a general. He's a general of a population and a geography that God has given him. He operates in powerful gifts. And there are many who are trying even now to hijack his mantle. They've betrayed him. They've betrayed him in some of the highest places. They will not be successful. And if they're listening, I hope you hear me. Go after your own mantle. We see that when anybody has attempted to hijack somebody's mantle, they get stuck in a rut. I feel sorry for the legacies of some people. Catherine Coleman, three or four people fought over who got their mantle. As far as I'm concerned, none of them look like her yet. A couple of them are gone. Same thing with Oral Roberts. Who got his mantle? And then you have him come, I got his mantle, I got his mantle. He gave his mantle to me. He doesn't have the right to give a mantle to anybody. Why? Because this mantle is absolutely intrinsic to your calling. And this mantle is ready to activate all the gifts of God that he has already coded in eternity for you. All the gifts of God that you need to attain to your high calling are already prepared for you. And we'll deal with it in a little while, if not this week, potentially next week. Do you know what they're called? I'm going to use a lot of paper. They are called treasures. Where are they at? In heaven. They are all ready to be stitched into your mantle. Some already are. Some need to be acquired. But all have access to the gifts that God has already given you. I once, I won't mention his name, but he was a spiritual father of mine for a while. And he had absolutely no knowledge or understanding of, of Israel and the promises of God to Israel. Maybe intellectually, he had a PhD from Oral Roberts University, but they really weren't on fire for Israel and the God of Israel and the Messianic Messiah. And in that instance, we did a, a big event, and I, was, I received full authority for the event. I wrote the music literally wrote the music. We had a, a symphony that went on for 20-some minutes. Paul Wilbur participated in it. He came in with one of his songs at the end of it. We had the dancers. We had probably 10,000 people there. And in the middle of that, the Lord had me prophesy over that man. And I said to him, 
you have a great mantle of God, but now if you're willing, God is going to stitch into your mantle a passion and a love that will follow with revelation for Israel, the promises of Israel, and the God of Israel. He somewhat looked baffled. His hand said, okay. And from that day forward, he's been on fire for Israel, sending people from his church over at least once or twice a year. It got stitched into his mantle. Stitched into his mantle. And that's why we need to understand that the Word of God is so important because that, along with the Spirit of God, becomes the fabric that gets stitched into our mantle. We have a seamstress in our midst who's probably the best seamstress in all of the area. Nobody can touch her. When I need my pants fixed, I know where I go. And she understands what it means to delicately handle material, to be able to make something form into what it needs to be, and to take something and craft it and create it meticulously so that it, you can't even tell that it was changed. That's why you are an active project of calling to your God. Your calling is never finished. And your calling is something that we need to achieve and apprehend and acquire. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Not because God didn't call. If God gave the call, then he's ready to choose. It's because you or I don't take the steps. Or we have lack of wisdom and knowledge that needs revelation. I choose to dwell with that one. I don't want to be incriminating. I want to be one who is edifying. And so that's why Paul cried out and said that, you may, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I've had multiple students, especially when I was teaching Bible college, which I enjoyed a lot. I love to teach. I think if you ask me what my greatest passion is in ministry, it's teaching. So I've decided to get my board out and to preach with teach in a sense that uh, I can better relate to you. It's who I am. It's what I do. It's what's been stitched into me. And one of them asked me and they said, Pastor, at that time, this was in around 2005, and they knew my story. They said, you've been in the Lord about 25 years. How have you gotten so much knowledge in the Word of God, and, and how do you receive revelation? And my answer to them was Ephesians. And, it sa and I said to them, because I ask and seek and never get satisfied for the spirit of wisdom and knowledge with revelation. And that's a fact. That's a discipline that is with me today. I am so less than some of the most learned people that are in the world. I will never touch them. I will never get to their level. I don't believe so. Even though I'm not competing with them, I just have wonder and amazement at the revelation and understandings that they have imparted to the body of Christ that we get the benefit of building upon these things with a firm foundation. But yet, there's something inside of me that's been stitched into my mantle that I cannot relent. I must press on. I must dig deeper. I must always ask why and more and more and more. And most of the time, I do so even when it arrives saying, I know there's more. I know I'm not satisfied with that. That's not the final outcome. And so I'd like us this morning to understand that through the revelation of Israel and the church that's in Romans 11, and it's fresh because we've been dealing with it in the Bible study, Deep Calls to Deep in Top Flight Tuesday, <coughs> very meticulously, word by word, scripture by scripture. And Patty's right, a lot of revelation came out in the last one. Profound revelation that even was hitting me fresh as I studied for it in that period of time. Because that's what God gives to us. And in that instance, I just want to deal for a moment out of the book of Romans 11 with what Paul was dealing with. He was a prisoner. He was in 
Rome. He was probably in a little cell. He had writing materials and a whole lot of time. And in that instance, I'm sure that there was something that was really gnawing at him as he realized that there were far fewer days in front of him than were behind him. And that he had been called as an apostle to the Gentiles, he himself confessing that assignment. Now, let's go all the way back to that assignment. Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, his vocation, his teaching, his education, his learning, his bloodline, if you will, none of it pointed to that. In fact, nobody pointed to that. No Jew pointed to the one who was going to bring redemption to Gentiles. In fact, it was something that if Gentiles did come to a revelation of the God of Israel, they were allowed to go as far as the outer court and to mix with others in the outer court who weren't invited into the next court. No sacrifices, no intimacy, not even being taught in the Torah and the prophets. But here's God who intervenes in Saul's life and intervenes in a radical way such that he has a choice. He has a choice to let all things become new and walk away from what was, or he has a choice to stay blind and to increase and follow his passions, which weren't with revelation, wisdom, and knowledge in the Spirit of God. God had already created a mantle for him that fell upon him. And it was stitched into that mantle to have a wisdom and a knowledge and a revelation for the Gentiles. But one of his passions, because he said it, I would be accursed of my own soul if I could be the one that could see the redemption of my brethren, my beloved Israel. It was a passion that drew him to Christ. I understand that passion. That's what brought me to Christ. The same prayer, and I never knew Paul said it. Lord, I want to bring my people to an understanding of you. I want you to help me to return my people to have a heart for you because none, not even the learned rabbis, seem to understand that we have no atonement for sin and nobody cares. But yet, I said, I feel so overwhelmed with my sin and I can't get rid of it. And that's how the Lord brought me to Christ. And in so doing, I received a very similar call. He said, you will go to the Gentiles first. And in the latter time, you will then be used for Eretz Israel. And so I too have been waiting for that moment and wondering about that moment. But in understanding the Pauline revelation of Israel and the church, I come to a comfort level and a confidence that I don't have to race against time. There's nothing I need to do but to stay true to my calling and my assignment and keep pure and holy hands before God and to continue to do what he gives me to do when and where he gives me to do it. I can't create it. I can't manufacture what God has in my calling, nor can you. And whenever I've tried, I mess it up. Whenever I tried, I waste time. Whenever I try, I find myself out of the peace of God, striving inside myself for things that aren't in my reach at this time or maybe never shall be. And that's how Paul was. He's sitting in that prison. He's wondering if his time's going to come and he's not going to be able to have a word or a message or even at all a glimpse of the redemption of Israel. His experience hasn't been a good one. He was one of the Jews that was persecuting the people of the way. That's what they were called, not Christians, the people of the way. And the people of the way were, at that time, mostly Jews. And the council of the apostles in Jerusalem, those Jews, their call was to the Jews. Peter was flabbergasted when God called him out to the Gentiles. And they brought Paul before them and they said, you shouldn't do this, but John... The president of the council received a revelation from God and said, if this is what God has called you to do, go, brother, and do it. So here's Paul. Lord, I've been obedient. I've established churches in Philippi and in Ephesus and Corinth and wherever you've sent me. 
great works of God that are continuing on. I've raised up disciples. I've given much revelation that you've given me, but how about my Jews, Lord? How about Israel? Are they cursed forever? There are some here saying the promises are gone, and now there's even arrogant Gentiles who are saying that all those promises have passed on to the body of Christ, and the Christ killers are left out, and don't be surprised. There are people today that love Jesus Christ, but believe that the Jews have no separate path to God, let alone any hope and calling for God. And that they've been accursed and that Jerusalem is no longer the Jerusalem of the apple of God's eye. And Eretz Israel is, not, is just an ethnic group that has no call to God. That's called super successionism. Some call it replacement theology. And it's from the pit of hell. It's just another substitute to remove the promise of God to the Jews spiritually. What we need to understand is that Abraham is the father of all, and God made him a promise to him in Genesis 13 and in 17. And he let him know that all the nations of the earth would be called by him. And he made a covenant with him. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who cursed you. And to be certain that nobody got confused and said, well, was that also to Ishmael and to Isaac? He said, Ishmael, I shall also bless, but Isaac is the seed of the promise. And that's why it is passed on from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, kept in perfect lineage all the way to David, and from David all the way through the prophets, and all the way to Mary, the mother of God, and Joseph. Not his biological father, but his father. The lineage was kept true for the promise of God. Our promises, both Jew and Gentile, believers in Christ, for everybody are founded in the covenant of Abraham. And if God were to break his promise with the Jews, then he could break his promise with you. But our God doesn't break promises. He's a covenant keeper. He's a covenant God. And so Paul knew this, but he was getting desperate. It's about time to check out. He knows that his assignment's coming to an end and his days are over. And yes, he had to go to the Gentiles, but he's saying, Lord, how, how about the Jews? What about Israel? And then he gives us this revelation in the book of, we call it the chapter 11 of Romans, but it's a letter part, the portion of the letter that he breaks out about Israel. And in that instance, he defines the calling of God. Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Another way it's said, God doesn't take back the gifts he has given or forget about the people he has chosen. Another way, God never changes his mind when he gives gifts or when he calls someone. Another way, God does not change his mind about whom he chooses and blesses. God does not withdraw his gifts of his calling. He will never, the living Bible, go back on his promises. And when God chooses someone, he graciously imparts gifts to them, gifts that are never rescinded. So yes, we understand that Paul came out with a statement that all of those who, who uphold the replacement theology that the Jews are no longer there or are proponents of super succession, none of them can explain it. I've put them to test. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, where Paul says, and now he's talking to Gentile believers, be not ignorant of this mystery, lest you're wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and then all Israel shall be saved. So you understand, it doesn't mean that every Jew that's alive at the time is going to be saved. It means, as it has said through all the scriptures from the beginning of Genesis on, that all Israel are the people of Israel. And there are those that were in the camp of Israel in those days who were disobedient to God. Some lost their lives for it. God isn't saying he's going to take away disobedience. What he's saying is there's a 
time meter that has begun to tick. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then this dispensation of the fountain of David opened up that Zechariah cried out for, for the cleansing of filthiness and sin from Israel as a people, as a nation, shall begin to wash away. Paul found comfort in that. He found comfort in knowing when the Holy Spirit gave him that revelation that the gifts of calling of God are irrevocable. They can't be taken away. Yes, he got it on the master plan for Israel, but he also got it on the member plan of the body of Christ. God's not a respecter of persons. Thank God he respects us all equally. He doesn't respect one over the other or one people more than another. All whom call upon the Lord shall be saved. And there's a high calling. And so Paul wants us to move forward into our high calling. And we understand that this calling, this calling of God that is intrinsically yours and nobody else's, when you say, Lord, here I am, your call can never be canceled. Take heed, beloved. Pastor, you don't understand. I, I think I stumbled and missed a couple of my steps. Guess what? God already knew that. He already knew you were going to stumble. And then he said, I'm going to put you back upright. And let's get back to work with what you have to do. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Nobody can stop you from what God has called you to do but you yourself. Remember, the greater the call, the greater the giants. We have to be prepared. And that's why I want to establish, and we're not going to even get very far with it today, a baseline. A baseline foundation. I'm going to give you a few hints about it. The faith that brought you to Jesus Christ in a comparison to a baseline foundation was one little block. <laughs> I know I sound a little radical and maybe not as benevolent as I should say. I rejoice when someone gets saved. But I'm done rejoicing with them that day because now what are they going to do? I'm not going to rejoice that I got saved back in 1980 every day because I've moved on from that baseline that was at this level. And many building blocks have come and been added. And those building blocks continue to add faith and foundation. And there's elements that give us that. The elements to the foundation are the word of God. That baseline cannot be firm unless it's grounded in the Word of God. It will fall. It will shake. But adding to that is fresh revelation. And that fresh revelation draws from your high calling, which is transcribed in heaven and draws down into your foundation. It comes in many senses. It comes with a teaching that opens your eyes. It comes with a prophecy grounded in the Word of God that speaks something into your spirit. How about miracles, signs, wonders, we are not to worship miracle signs and wonders. We are to ingest them. We are to take them to the bank of our baseline foundation and say, now I know that I can deal with this illness because I've dealt with this illness. Now I know that I can minister in that realm to someone else because I have been ministered to in that realm. Once I was blind, but now I could see. Once I couldn't walk, but now I can run. 
Once I didn't know, but now I understand. We build upon those experiences, not aside from the Word of God, because experience without the Word of God is flesh, emotion. But now there's a safety net with all of that. We're not asked to be emotionless people. To the contrary, the believers I know, you, you cry. You have compassion. When your phone goes off and you're asked to pray for somebody, somebody you don't even know, all of a sudden in your heart and your spirit, you begin to warm up and say, oh my God, let me pray for them. And you stand up and you pray. And you're willing to get up in the middle of the night and pray. And you have compassion and understanding. You don't ignore the opportunities that God gives us. Because we're people with emotions. Even as Christ had emotions. And cried over Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And on his way back home. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I would have gathered you under my nest. Protected you under my wings. As a mother hen does with her chickies. But yet you still reject me and kill the prophets. He cried. His only emotion on the cross were two moments. His mother, John, that's your mother now. Mom, that's your son. He took care of mama. His other one, my God, my God, I've never experienced this before. You've taken your spirit from me. My soul has died. Two emotions. Emotions are important, but grounded in the foundation of our faith. We don't allow our emotions to take us someplace. We allow the emotions to prepare our hearts, to allow us to laugh and have joy when we should to allow us to cry when we should, to allow us to be surprised. Surprises are good. What would be a life if everything was already predetermined and you knew it all? Pretty boring, I think. We live creative lives. God wrote you as a creative story in the heavenly books of life. And you're living that story that God has given you, but you make choices and I make choices. So the firm foundation... I want us to dwell more as the Lord allows us to pursue this in the firm foundation. I want you to understand that Paul got excited. He got very excited when he received the revelation of Israel in his prison and he shared it. So excited that in his word, which he shared with us, that he begins to cry out. And he begins to extol God in a different way than he ever has before. And all he can say is, Lord, your ways are beyond knowing. Your mind is unsearchable. Your promises are true. And in that place, he came to a place of confidence and comfort. That it didn't matter if he lived one more day or not. It wasn't his to do. The Lord had it. The Lord had it. Our baseline faith must grow. It must grow because we understand that God is doing a work in us. And that work is never done. That's a good news. That's not bad news. It doesn't reflect on you or me that somehow we are deficient and we're missing God and God needs to do a lot of work in us. What it means is that God loves you so much that he's never going to quit with you. And he's going to continue to mold you and make you into everything you will be as long as you have a passion to seek the treasures in heaven. If you have that passion, if you have that passion to go after those treasures, God's going to continue to gift you with them.
Now, we'll get into practical ways of doing it. Yes, what you sow here on earth sows in heaven. It says don't store up here on earth because that will disintegrate and dissolve. But what you store up here, you're storing up in heaven. But there's another false teaching with that or maybe just a teaching that didn't get magnified enough. It's almost like we're misers saving our blessings and we're sticking them up in heaven so when we get there, we're rich with blessings. No, those are intended also for you in the here and now. Those treasures in heaven that you sow here on earth, they are activated in heaven. And what you declare here on earth is declared in heaven. What you loosen here on earth is loosened in heaven. What you bind here on earth is bound there in heaven. You have the power to release the mystery of the high calling of God into your own life right now. I feel the Holy Spirit so strongly right now. But pastor, I, you don't understand. You know, I, I, I just, you know, I, I, I just haven't been spending the time or you don't really know what's going on in my life and there's some dark parts and there's some light parts and, you know, I'm not really talented for that. That's why the real heroes that, and the heroines that we like to look at are the ones who knew they didn't have the talents of themselves to do anything for God, but dared to go, and God used them mightily. Smith Wigglesworth, what, what a guy, a plumber. His wife had to teach him to read. She had to help him put his sermons together. She had to craft this guy so that he could communicate. But all he knew was one thing. In his baseline faith, <laughs> in his baseline faith, he didn't allow anything to get in the way of what he was going to do for God. How about that most infamous story? A young man comes to him. He has no legs. They ask him to pray for his legs. He says, go to the shoe store tomorrow and pick out your shoes. But he has no legs. If he wants legs, he's going to need a pair of shoes. Go pick out your shoes. Or how about the odds of Catherine Coleman, thin, little, delicate woman, hurt so many times by men and still hurt by men in ministry at the time. And she, all she could say is, okay, Lord, here I am. Four words, I believe in miracles. She took it around the U.S., right to our home, steps of Stambaugh Auditorium. And you know what she said? Catherine, what's the, what's the mystery behind your success? No man would take up the assignment, so God asked me to do it. That's how humble she was. And then when she's passing away, some people even alive today still fighting over her mantle, Really? They couldn't touch the hairs on her head just because of their lack of humility and respect for the person of God. I'm tough. I call it like it is. And then I also find that so sad. I am grateful to God for the mantle that he's given me. I don't want to take it from somebody else. God bless them. Give them more. I don't want to be patterned after someone else. That would mean I'd have to act like them, talk like them, be like them, and do what they do, and I don't want to do that. And neither do you. You might have been disrespected in many places. You might not have been understood. That's good. That's good. That means God has given you something so unique, so extraordinary, that somebody else who isn't mature can't see it. Paul had an answer for that too. He said, let us be satisfied with what we have. Let's, we'll deal with it in Philippi next time, but if this is your baseline, he's saying, believe God to move the goalposts. But if he doesn't, 
And if you can't believe that, be satisfied with the baseline you have. And those who are mature, he's saying, minister from that baseline and watch what God shall do. So beloved, I've just scratched the earth on this. There's some powerful, powerful revelation if we agree to it, to receive. We cannot move into the future. You will be doing yourself a disservice if you are satisfied with the baseline faith you have right now. We must add to it. We must grow with it. God is going and is pouring out a greater faith upon the people of the earth today to deal with greater darkness. It's a clash of the spiritual titans. The Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Father, and all the powers of hell and flesh, humanism doing everything in its power to thwart the plan of God because with the coming of the Messiah, the battle is won. And he's coming. I believe he's coming in most of your lifetimes. And I believe certainly that the two people that we prayed over today, they are absolutely going to be living when he comes. And the children that are being ministered to in the house today by the beautiful people that sacrificed themselves for that, thank you. That, that is such a far greater calling than my own. To be able to instill in those children a baseline faith that God could use for the return of the Messiah. Wow. We may not be touching thousands, but if it's five, God bless, because out of that five, there will be giant killers and multiply and multiply and multiply. And so we continue to pursue with this discipline. This is the discipline of the house. It's the discipline of the ministry. It's the discipline of my life. I didn't just coin it because it sounded good and could market. I don't market it. Building upon the firm foundation of the Word of God with fresh revelation and then adding to it all that you are. That is the clarion call to God's church today. It also requires us to be bold enough, honest enough, that those things that are in the gray area we carve them out just as you would pick things out of the pot while you're making your dinner that don't belong in there. You don't eat them. You remove them. You take them out of your supper dinner. And we embellish the things that are of God. You are a new creation and you're new again today even as was cried out by Jeremiah in Lamentations, knew every morning the mercies of God. That's who you are. One last point, and we'll deal with some other principles if the Lord allows, because I really am impassioned about this right now. And that other one is this. The one thing we do control most of the time is our time. If you were to do a study of time, how many minutes there are in a day, how many minutes in a month, how many in a year, and you start your life at 18, 16, when you become to really aware that maybe you're supposed to do more than just rely on your parents or whatever status you were in, or when we finally open our eyes and realize that our life is for God, whatever age that is, 25, 28, 30, 35, 45, 50. I don't know. Add the minutes left from there that are left in your storyline here on earth. That's how many minutes we have for our assignments and high calling of God. And he understands we have practical things to do. We must work. We have to tend to the things of our practical living. All of God's people did. Jesus did. The disciples did. 
Everyone did. But we must measure the time out and say, Lord, in this time, I'm setting it aside for you. Would you set it aside for me that I can pursue the high calling of what you've given me? It may start out this big and may get this big, but if there's no time, where do you expect it to go? Nowhere. We are creature comfort, comfort creatures here in this country. We spend more time pursuing our comforts than we do our calling. All of us. Say, Pastor, you're being a little tough. No, I'm just telling you as I assess it that we are comfort creatures. We're more worried about our winners. We're more worried about things that we want to pursue. I have a neighbor who every Sunday is polishing his old car as I pull out to church and I wave at him. And every Sunday I say, Lord, wake him up. When he's gone, that car is going to be a pile of rust. He worships that car every Sunday early because I come here early. I pick Sonny, Sonny, and I get here early. It's what we do with our time. I'm not telling you that you need to walk convicted in guilt, that you don't put the same time in as someone else. What I'm telling you is measure yourself before God honestly. And then you say, but pastor, what can I do with that time? Have you asked him? Have you asked him? Remember the Ananias who was sent to pray over the eyes of Saul and Paul. The Lord called him. And before he even knew what he was supposed to do, Ananias said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because he was listening and asking what the Lord would have him to do. Then he got a tough assignment. Had to go pray for the, the believer killer. But he went. I believe God has some wonderful things to use each and every one of us with just a little segment of our time dedicated to him. Yes, it's good to dedicate your time in the word, in the pray. Can you take it a little further? Can you do a little more? Can you make a difference in somebody else's life? Hands-on, touching ministering, declaring, helping, something. I believe that's the other part of our foundation of faith that we'll deal with. Because if we don't activate that faith for the body of Christ, then we don't draw down the things from heaven that God has for us. This is not a bad word. This is a good word. This is a word for each and every one of us to know that we've not yet begun to see what God has for you. I want you to see it. I want you to get it. I want you to receive it. I want you to enjoy the things of life and the comfort creatures. I want everybody to be blessed. Just don't lose sight of God in it. And don't make him priority number two or three. Let him be priority one. God can do a lot with a little. He can take a little bit of what we have and what we give him and it can expand into a lot. And in so doing, you then qualify for more. And his promise is he will give it to you because he's the God of abundance. He never runs short. Father, thank you, Lord, for provoking my spirit about baseline faith and foundation and the knowledge that, Lord, we continue to pursue and even though we know we'll never fully apprehend here in this life that we'll continue to build not just for our own excitement and knowledge, but, Lord, to be able to be used as a weapon and as a tool for you. 
the nations, the politics, the economies, and education, all those fears, Lord. They use a process to weaponize things in order to overcome and manipulate, to destroy or to replace. But Lord, you've told us the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal like that. They're spiritual and they're mighty. Father, help us to get greater revelation, wisdom and knowledge in who we are and what we have and what you've put us to do and where we're at. Help us, Father, to be able to utilize our time wherever it is, whatever we're doing, even in our comforts, Lord, to be able to be something for you in that moment. Interrupt our lives, Father, with relationships, with random people, with opportunities. Help us, Father, not to be those who close our eyes as we drive around somebody's problem, but to be those who stop to minister and say, you know what, I've got a moment. You redeem the time, O oh Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us. I thank you, Father, you haven't given up on me. I thank you, Lord, that the gifts and the high calling of God are beyond anything that we can comprehend. And I extol, as Apostle Paul extolled and probably is even now, oh my God, who can measure your glory? How wondrous you are. You're beyond understanding here in the realm of our minds and spirits as limited as we are. But we know one thing, you're the greatest and you're greater than anything and anyone in any place and everywhere. You, almighty God, can do all things. And through you, we can do great things. Christ, you are the hope of our glory, our high calling. Holy Spirit, Spirit of glory, minister into us. Turn us up, agitate us, stir us. And Father of glory, keep us by your name. In Jesus' name.